Welcome back to another episode of the Airways Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Delmazar, digital editor, joined by Rohan Anand, our aviation analyst. Vinay is on assignment right now, so hopefully he'll have some interesting things for us uh, on the next episode. Um, and we have a very special guest joining us, Chris Best, uh, is a steam aviation author and a commercial pilot with 20 years of experience, I believe. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, welcome, Chris. It's super cool to have you here. And uh, you're joining us from London, Dubai, Sydney, New York. We don't know, right? I can tell you where I am. I'm in Spain, so it's uh, it's nearly four o'clock in the morning. So uh, yeah, but it's good to be with you. So thank you. I did not realize that you had woken up this early to record an episode with us. So I appreciate that. Hopefully you're in like a coastal part of Spain or you're in a... I'm sure you know the nightlife in Spain currently too. People are just starting to get to the club, right? At this hour. So. <laughs> yeah. It, um, the bar closed not that long ago, actually. So the timing worked out pretty well. So, yeah. There you go. There you go. Very nice. Cool. Well, I love Spain. Viva España. Good for you. Cool. Good. Thank you. All right. So um, I don't know if we have any any interesting news that we want to delve into. Uh, any particular topic yeah I, I i might start with a little bit of a fun one so we saw that lufthansa announced some new routes to the u.s and as part of that lufthansa group uh including swiss uh and i believe austrian even uh, yeah about you know some increased capacity into non-starlined markets in the case of lufthansa by going from frankfurt to uh to minneapolis st paul and to raleigh durham uh, that's going to go head to head against Air France, but also from Munich to Seattle, Munich to San Diego. Yes. And then, of course, some of the backfilling of, um, or I actually wouldn't call it backfilling as much as it is augmenting flights from Zurich to markets like uh, Washington, Dallas on Swiss, Toronto, uh, among others. And you see that they're fortifying these as part of the J plus plus A plus Alliance, uh, the Lufthansa Group of Canada and United Airlines joint venture. So even though Washington, Dallas to Zurich is served by United or Air Canada flies from Toronto to Zurich, Swiss is coming in there supplementing. And it's a good strategy because Swiss in Zurich actually has some power that um, Lufthansa does not have at Frankfurt or does not have at Munich just for like size and scale and other purposes. Plus the new deliveries of these uh, fleet types that are coming in for Swiss. And the new product is an opportunity for them to be able to grow. Yeah. There were like three announcements, right? This past week from, from the group. Um, it mostly is long haul. And I know that Chris, I think you fly long haul. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I fly the two yeah. sudden. Okay. I think these flights are what? A350s? The Lufthansa's? Yeah, yeah. It's a mix. I think that uh, the 787-9, again, Lufthansa is like newest long haul aircraft edition um is is kind of like this this new baby that um they've been used uh, to fly on routes like dallas fort worth right so that allows them from a staging perspective and also from a familiarization of crews out of frankfurt to be able to you know do a minneapolis st paul where previously you know flying an a330 on lufthansa or an a340 would not have allowed a minneapolis like to be profitable uh, for Lufthansa now the 787 with configuration and then of course with just you know the ability to leverage Frankfurt as the flow market for long haul beyond uh, Frankfurt for intercontinental for other purposes that's going to be uh, enabled by this aircraft I think that the Swiss routes are uh, a mix of A330s and, and among others but I, I think broadly speaking what's so interesting is that Lufthansa group is doing what the time the group has always done and that's just continuously evolving whether it's like chopping the Eurowings discover name from the brand and becoming just discover and right you know moving the a380s all into Munich. uh you know it, it, it having to delay the product uh launch allegris which i'm still questioning the the name choice on that i, I i'm immediately thinking about like hours right <laughs> Um, I don't know, was that like designed by the same people like with the name Polaris? I, it, some of these things are beyond me. Um, I don't know, Chris, do you have any thoughts? I think the, the, the one thing that I found traveling through the different airports that you, you've touched on already 
We've all got the pros and cons. And I think um, I love traveling through Europe as a passenger because everything just works really well. And I think last summer when there were so many problems in airports with staff shortages, you never heard Zurich read the press. Right. And I think that's a really good thing for Zurich and obviously the Swiss, etc. And um, I actually traveled through Zurich as a passenger last summer. I think I had a, had a 50 minute connection and everything just works really well. Uh, and whilst other airports had massive queues and they have many problems with staff shortages and um, the, there is something about Swiss efficiency and it just seems to work really well. And I think one of the endearing things about Zurich, which Pastor is like here, is you can connect one whole bit. It, it, the airport still has that small airport feel, even though it's not a small airport. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, and, and I think that, you, that that is a big benefit that you just, you just cannot replicate it other airports within the Starlines network with, within Europe. So yeah, it, it's it really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're really onto something because like, you know, you hear people having pleasant experience going over Helsinki or going over Vienna. Mm. Um, and I, I actually think that whether you intended to or not, touching upon how like, let's look at this example of Frankfurt, right? Frankfurt's now opening up to Minneapolis and Toronto Durham. Whereas previously, these transatlantic markets on SkyTeam for Minneapolis, you know, Delta Airlines has four flights a day, you know, to Amsterdam. And uh, that includes KLM. I know that Air France has come in and out of Minneapolis to pair CDG. And these issues that are happening with staff shortages and flight cuts at Amsterdam, you know, makes Lufthansa maybe think, okay, well, you know, we can start to sort of credential, you know, flows over these more strategic hubs that we have that are, you know, kind of a smaller profile, right? Like whether it's Brussels or whether it's Zurich or Vienna. Uh, and so I, I, I wonder also if that has something to do with it or, you know, the, uh, the implications. I, I connected to Frankfurt uh, a few weeks ago and it was the most Frankfurt layover in the world. You know, it turns out that like, you know, going long haul to, you know, enter Europe, you have to go underneath the walkway you have to go through a security you have to take a bus and then you have to go up the stairs and like you know it and i took the late night flight from chicago to frankfurt on lufthansa which was like at 11 p.m departure so it gets into frankfurt at like 2 p.m all the u.s flights have pretty much left all of the uh long haul to south asia flights have left so frankfurt's not even all that busy at that hour and it still wasn't a very pleasant connection that actually might be a good uh, segue into one of the things that you uh, wanted to discuss on this episode, correct? Is that in the world uh, post-pandemic where we've seen literally, you know, starting it will be four years this winter, the unraveling of the systems and the structures that support the global economy, that support aviation, the political effects, the health concerns, and then just this massive cascade that took place where you know, you really do not realize that the person that works at the Starbucks at your airport has been at a very meta level impacted by this COVID situation. And there is a ripple effect there. And in the airports, especially with the importance of tourism as a means that you employ people and you create not just jobs, but you also create wealth and you, you, you earn revenue. You can't just say, well, shut down all travel. You've seen those examples in Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, and how like they got to very, very high levels. And, and that was scrutinized. And, you know, a lot of this drama with Qantas that just has happened in an episode that we'll release soon with Alan Joyce, you know, he kind of called for his head with all the labor shortages and the, the, the problems with supply chain. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are around that topic. Yeah, they, it's... Um... Well, obviously, the, the skills shortage was something that I was going to be discussing anyway, but it's, um, it seems to be it, it's, it's a problem that doesn't seem to end. 
And um, all right, whenever I was discussing with yourself, selling about possible topics that to, to, to chat about on the podcast, and I think that it was right about that time, whenever the news flashed up last week that there is the shortage of air traffic controllers at Gatwick. And you have that headline, but it just seems to be a never-ending uh, stream of shortages, but throughout many different segments of the industry. And um, we don't seem to be getting to the end of this problem. Uh, and it seems to be sort of cascading all around the world as well. And it, it's quite interesting um, that we're in this situation. And... and the start of COVID seems so long ago now, actually. I was actually just chatting to a friend a couple of days ago and just reminiscing at how long ago it the, the start of lockdown actually seems. Right. And there's no end in sight to these staffing problems there. Um, what, are, what experiences have you, have you had where you've traveled? Have you, have you seen any? shortages firsthand or what have your travel experiences been like not mine i haven't traveled as a late and it was domestic i don't know about you Ryan. i think you have of course i have uh the the thing that i i try to look at is at this macro level whether we're talking about workforces in major european airports whether they have to abide by union laws, whether they're employed by the airlines, you know, above the wing, below the wing, in the terminal, behind the ticket counter, in every sort of airport. I mean, we're talking about even like a Venice. American Airlines is flying a lot of capacity into markets like Athens and Venice, but do you think that they have actual staff that are employed by American Airlines based in Athens? No, they don't, because that would be silly. It's a waste of money because it's a seasonal market. Whereas right. previously airlines like Pan Am and TWA, you know, they had they had their airlines flying to places that they had no business being in because they started from PUD regulation. But what you could be assured of was that there was consistency in the brand and in the product in those countries, right? And now labor laws have changed a lot and political laws have changed a lot where you've got the European Union, you've got Brexit, you've got all of these pieces that come into play and in the united states the conversation has shifted fundamentally from four years ago when we talk about our relationships with our employers and whether you know this previous model of trickle down economics and people you know having to work for minimum wage and do all these things in you know la 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 where europe and canada and other places have been historically now the u.s is you know trying to get those Look at the rider strike right now. You know, we can take this out of the industry, but like, you know, who's benefiting and who's hurting with regards to how I imagined COVID, everything would take place to me. It's, it was a surprise, you know, people that had the ability to, you know, lean into the crazy real estate market that took place in the United States in 2021, myself, almost a part of that. Well, you know, they got great interest rates on their lovely condos. Right. It took year, a year for some people to get the furniture that they wanted because of supply chain. And we're talking about the shipping, cargoes, uh, you know, all of that. That I'd like, and so part of the reason why I think that I'm feeling in my own personal life a lot less anxiety than I did even a year ago is because I'm sort of feeling like we're gradually restoring ourselves to the 2019 versions of, right. of what the world is like. You know, and, and not having to think about wearing a mask, even though COVID is still present, right? The point you raised, Chris, about the problem never seems to end. I I also would agree with that. Like, you know, that that in in and is the explanation like that the conversation around that is still gonna become a you know, a center point topic moving forward, you know, just to understand how the balance comes in and you know, where wage equity or hourly you know protections this that the other come into play uh i'm not i'm not really sure so the pandemic reconfigured everything if we're thinking that aviation has been resilient and elastic it's a different ball game you might think in my opinion it, we can't go back to 2019 
labor specifically. Yeah, for sure. Get up to speed on the commercial aviation industry with the top stories of the week by subscribing for free to the Airways NOTAM newsletter. You won't have to worry about missing a thing. Every new edition of the Airways NOTAM goes directly to your inbox. Go to airwaysmagazine.substack.com slash subscribe. That's airwaysmagazine.substack.com slash subscribe. International Civil Aviation Organization says the industry will need 480 new technicians to maintain aircraft and over 350,000 pilots by 2026. And and I, I don't mean to interrupt. It, it just has me thinking. And, and Chris, I'll, I'll uh, t- hand the ball back to you because I know you have something to say. Yeah. Just crossing my mind that this very delicate tightrope that we're all having to walk right now with digitization and automation in the mm, form of automated intelligence, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and all that. I don't think you ask you about that, Chris. And yeah, I, I need. I want to know your opinion. Opinion yeah, about the deficit of like of technical skills that require humans, like pilots, and by the way, you know that that like tightrope, as you said. Uh, yeah, Chris, spill. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go back to because Rohan, because the, the one point you you already touched upon was said, and you you mentioned, for example, going through Athens and you're traveling on an airline and uh, they don't have their own staff, and I think it's actually quite important to point out to listeners who might not be aware you might be traveling on a specific airline you go to the check-in desk you check in you drop your bag off and the person that greets you at that check-in desk even though they might be wearing the the uniform of the airline that you're traveling on they might not necessarily be employed by that airline and i think it's one of the interesting things about the staff shortages that we've seen and there's so much outsourcing that's being done nowadays and that puts an additional element of pressure on costs right so for example you've got an airline will outsource the handling to a third party organization you've got an airport operator will outsource the provision of security to a third party organization and these third parties are all wanting to get these juicy contracts, but in order to make themselves competitive, they have to do it at the cheapest price. And right. the lowest common denominator is the staff. They're the ones that feel the pin because staffing costs in any company are one of the, if not the biggest costs. And I think that's one of the problems that has the one of the problems that has exacerbated the situation we're in there, because there's so much outsourcing now in the aviation industry. Uh, and I think it, it, it was, I was using that analogy of when you check in and that the person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know they wear very beautiful. A lot of people, whenever they travel, they don't actually realize that the yeah. that check, checks you in. They might be wearing the uniform of the airline you're flying off. But actually if you think about it, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense if you're, let's say, you know, an airport like Athens, like we use in this example, where, you know, you could have a contracting company that for the three, four, five hour, six maybe time channel that you have, the first inbound flight, let's say, you know, the United flights from Dulles and from Newark to win those turn and go back. And then you got the American one, you got the Air Canada one, you got the Delta one. You have those staff members split amongst handling different assignments at different ticket counters and doing the announcements, doing the security checks, boarding those passengers between those hours. That's way more efficient for the airlines to go with. Mm. Um, and so, you know, airport operators too, like in Lisbon airport, you know, if you see that, you know, they call it the ANA group. I mean, it's not the airline, it's the actual group that like, you know, there's airports that are in, you know, uh, sort of liaisons with, with with also the the country and you know airports to Paris, so you know they add their own you know French labor things that they have to go. On. So you're not interacting with an American Airlines you know employee as if you would be with someone that is you know your cabin crew or even your pilot for that matter. Uh, and 
I think that, you know, it's always very important to pay attention in the check-in process because, you know, the lanyard can really give you a lot of good information. When I was working for Accenture, we did a lot of uh, airline AT designs, including check-in uh, and uh, day of departure uh, boarding systems. And we would do time and motion studies where we'd go to these airlines and the airports and we would observe just like the average amount of time it took each agent to check in the system just to do something basic, like printing mm. a boarding or printing on a bag tag. And when it came down to having to get to meta levels of checking strollers, changing the flight and issuing a re-ticketing or having to do a refund or ask for more, the complicated like levels of edge cases you can deal with are very, very large. And these agents were not employed by the airline that we were doing this work for. These were people that worked for like Delta Global Services, which is not associated with Delta. It is literally a third party that does that. And so oftentimes, you know, they're struggling with this system. They're struggling when the flight's canceled or delayed, or they're just angry passengers and they don't even sometimes know how to, you know, really uh, complete something when they may have a passenger that is unfortunately trying to scan the system by, you know, flying without documents, you know what it means, and airlines get fined. There's all sorts of gray areas here. Now, does this, is this uh, outsourcing, this practice, is it more common or does it increase uh, due to consolidation? Or is it, or like maybe airport, like airports or something? Or is it just like a general practice where every, everyone's outsourcing everything? At least ultra low cost carriers sometimes that can be a way in which they build the base mm. and they do so with because with all the startup costs that they have with landing fees, terminal rights, gates, slots, you name it. What they want to do is make sure that if there's a unified process in the ecosystem of a passenger's day of departure, whatever, if it can be put out to a mainstream sort of component, they will do that. We'll get British Airways. They are using... Dio and Kalo catering, you know, they're using Turkish Air, Turkish Airlines oriented for all of their catering. I mean, this is British Airways, like the most like important airline. It's a first class, you know. Right. You can't see the value. Yeah, uh, uh, and just to, to to give an example of some of the pressures that sort of outsourcing can have. I was going through my local airports in the UK. This must have been. It must have been early on last year, and I was catching a red-eye flight, so I was amazed I actually recognized anyone, but I was literally security, one of the security staff I've heard for years, quite, quite first. I catched them briefly, and the staff was at a time when the last year, staff shortages, and I said, hey, how are you doing? Well, yeah, not too bad, and I was just chatted away. I said, how are you guys doing the staff? And he said, we're short. I said, mm -hmm. okay. And then he opens up and he says, well, we let too many people go during COVID. But the right. problem is, is that um, the security was now all I saw for the third part of company. And they invited staff to come back that were let go during COVID. But they were invited back on poorer terms and conditions. And of course, the vast majority said, we're not interested. But I think that was quite interesting because I think that's a situation perhaps more widespread than a lot of people out there. And, uh, and which perhaps was one of the reasons why we had so many problems with airports of the last year and continue to see problems as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, as the world has emerged from the pandemic and You've got all these third-party organizations that provide services. And they're under even more pressure to deliver than they've ever been. Uh, and um, I think it's... And, and Rohan, you, you've already mentioned low-fare airlines as well. And I think they, they have an immense amount of leverage whenever it comes to negotiating contracts. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if... They basically just named their flights to say, okay, we're, we're wanting to fly the Red Bull X number of flights per day, and this is what we're paying. And if you don't want to pay, so as a, if you're not willing to accept this offer, we'll just take our business to the competitor next door. 
Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's such a competitive marketplace now. It's cutthroat as well. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, it's the staff that feel the brunt and squeezing terms and conditions. So, uh, yeah, I've, uh, was, I've, any of you had any examples of any, or uh, you've, well, when I've workload or traveled any, any first hand examples of any challenges? Actually, I might say that a few years ago, when the whole Dr. Dow situation took place on United Airlines, I actually wrote a blog post about how in that period, because there was a string of other incidents that happened, right? Once you make noise, people are just going to come at you, right? Like, they're just going to come at you, you know? They put my dog in the cabin upstairs and the dog died, you know? We're all <laughs> and I said, you know, in this post, hey, if you're flying in the next week, go on your mobile app for Starbucks, buy three, four, five dollar gift cards to Starbucks, and when you go and you travel, print them out or have them with you, you can literally e-send them to one of your representatives and just give them that card because it's something tangible and it will turn their day around. Mm. And they can use it on their next break because like, they may have gotten there or in the morning to start checking in the very first flight at Newark. And now it's 10 in the morning and they haven't eaten a thing. And they have five minutes where they can run that Starbucks. You can get, they can get a sandwich. That is really where you can do good work, not doing a feedback card. And when I put that post out there, I was ripped to pieces. All the people that were on there saying, how dare we encourage this kind of thing? This is a tipping based country. These flight attendants don't deserve it. No, 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 no. And I, I was, I was honestly so blown away and disappointed by the entitlement of all of these people reading these blogs and what they expressed. And then what was interesting was, is that a couple of years later, pandemic happens, the incidences in the air rage happens, flight mm. attendants literally beaten up by passengers. And now the narrative has completely shifted and people are saying, oh, you know what, be nice to your flight and be nice to your fruit, be nice to your service, be nice to whatever. And I'm like, yes, yes. Why wouldn't you have done this in the very beginning? What entitles you? You know, a lot of, and a lot of these people that are, that are, are this way that think that in the service industry, you know, this person is, is beneath them or is there to, you know, provide them white blood service. I'm like, no, you know, and if they're nasty too, if they're not doing their job, that's a different thing. Yet if you have to respect the people that are in that job. And yes, they are there for your safety. Primero. I don't care if the flight attendant or is a great here Royale. If we happen to have an afforded landing and we have to evacuate the aircraft, I mean, have you seen in all of these incidences that happen, maybe not in Pakistan and other countries that need to work on their stuff, but all of these incidents, people get off the plane and they get off in under a minute and they leave their stuff behind because of the cabin crew. Our latest issue is now available at airwaysmag.com slash shop where you'll be able to get an Airways digital subscription, find Airways merchandise, and pre-order the 2024 Airways calendar. That's airwaysmag.com slash shop. I've had to deal with a situation that required de-escalation. And this was a plane that was going from Dallas to Chicago. And there was a refugee who didn't speak English that was boarding in Chicago, leaving their daughter, flying to, or sorry, boarding in Dallas, flying to Chicago. Then their son was greeting them in Chicago. And whether that they had put the service request in or not, like, I don't know. The woman boarded the plane not knowing that because of her basic economy ticket, um, the bag that she had couldn't fit in the bin, they had to gate check it, and they weren't going to charge her. But she's on the plane and they separate her from the bag and she starts freaking out because no one knows what's going on. And then the, uh, the, the, you know, the gate agents get involved and now they're in the process of booting her off. And I'm like, okay, wait, something's up. Someone, I said to the flight attendant, said, can you please make an announcement over the PA asking if any passengers on this flight, it was very cool, speak Arabic. 
because this passenger was Arabic speaking, and no one did. But there was a very, um, you know, shrewd passenger that had boarded with the woman that said, I think I know what's up here. I think she's just scared about her back. And she just needs to be let it. She just needs to be communicated that the bag will be with her in Chicago at baggage claim. And they said, cool, I'm the step pin here and I will sit with her and I will, uh, you know, escort her off the plane and I'll take it because I was going to Chicago anyway. And, um, like, it was great. Like, we didn't kick her off the plane. Flight took off on time. The flight attendants are in a good mood. A situation was completely avoided that would have been so unnecessary. And, um, you know, I didn't really interact much with the passenger, but she gave me, uh, uh, like, a Snickers bar on her plane, so that was cute. <laughs> and then when we landed in Chicago, I took her to the, uh, the, the uh, baggage claim area. Thankfully, there was a person with a wheelchair uh, assist that was Moroccan that speaks to her in Arabic. And then her son was there, and then, you know, everyone on their merry way. Um, but I don't know if the flight attendants or the gate agents in that situation were just simply overwhelmed or equipped. Like, they're trying to get the plane out of there. They're, they're, they can't worry about, you know, basically every seat has a story. You know, they want to be cutesy with that. Like, they are having to deal with, you know, getting the plane loaded and fueled up correctly. All the paperwork is turned in. The captains have their flight plans and their takeoff slot ready to go. The cabin is secured and the passengers are ready to push back. There's no weather. You know, like, there are a million things that affect just a single flight. So for one person to allow something or the other to escalate to the point where the plane has to turn around or they have to, you know, divert because of XYZ reason, it, it irks me because I do believe there are some real legitimate situations where the plane must come down and the passenger must get off. I would say though a good portion of them are just plain entitlement and bad behavior and a lot of the reality TV stuff and you know bad behavior we see from our leaders in the world, people just think that they're entitled to do the same way without consequence. That's just my take. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with Brohan that it's out of hand, the entitlement. Certainly that story that you just that experience is not gonna be in social media or headlines. But we don't hear about that, right? In your 20 years, uh, uh, Chris, flying, uh, do you see a big shift in terms of how people treat airline staff post-pandemic? That's a good question. Um, I think as a pilot, I'm not on the front line, so I don't have the same interaction with the customers. Um, so I probably would not be best qualified to, to answer if there's any listeners that are cabin crew and wish to share the feedback we'd love to know what your points are uh, or what your uh, what your point of view is um i think uh, is well going back to what rohan just mentioned about the starbucks vouchers and a little goes a long way and mm -hmm. if you're traveling as a passenger and you want to be treated like royalty just do something small, like a bag of candy, and just give it to your crew when you get on board. Say, hey, you probably had a long day. If it's a short-haul flight, I've had a number of flights already. Thanks for much for taking care of me today. And they'll be, well, because as it's very, very rare, whether you're cabin crew, whether you are grand staff, to be thanked for the job that you're doing. Because people just take it for granted. Right. They, forget, they go to the airport. They get on board the plane and they get off. And that's what they pay to do. And they don't appreciate everything that goes on behind the scenes. Yep. Um, and I think it's, I think after the pandemic, it's made travel more stressful. Mm. Uh, I, it, it, maybe it's a little bit better now than it used to be. We'd have to obviously all these mask mandates, etc. Yeah, I looked before, and there are all these hideous folds or QR codes that you have to scatter. Right. Digital menus, like, I, I, yeah. I'm very much, like, so ambivalent about how I feel, you know? I, I, but, I, I Sorry, go ahead. No, so I was just going to say, but the, it's, 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 it's quite often nowadays, um, you can travel as a passenger, and if you're on a long-haul flight, and a lot of airlines are going completely down the, 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 the digital pathway 
So there's the, the to traveling and the economy or coach is what you guys would call it. Um, yeah, some airlines will not have their menu cards now. So mm. if you can't scan the QR code that displays in your seat back video monitor, you can get the menu. And you might have someone who is more mature in years, not very tech savvy. He's really stressed about flying. He might not travel very often. Man. And, and, and that stressful experience is just compounded even further because now they can't see what the venue is and what bill options are available mm. whenever it probably comes down. So um, I think it's, uh, it's a very different travel experience to what it used to be. But I think there is a segment of the traveling community who in some ways maybe alienated. But, um, and I think travel is perhaps a lot more stressful than it used to be. I mean, you're like, what, 10,000 feet inside a metal tube with 200 people? It's a stressful job. I, I mean, I think about that when I get on a plane and I see the crew. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. Plus, you're going to a place, right? You're traveling for a reason. If it's vacation, great. But if you're going on business, if you're going to visit family, if you're going for a wedding, a funeral, whatever, there's also the anxiety and the thoughts of what happens when your feet are on the ground, right? Is my luggage going to arrive? Will I be able to make the train? Am I going to be jet lagged? Am I going to be exhausted? Do I have to make my way to a meeting and, you know, be on my feet for another 12 hours, right? Without, you know, a break. The uh, thing that I, I appreciate about what you just said, Chris, is also the the anxiety that people feel is so valid and, and, and the little going a long way. I, I want to believe also that it is important to make sure we can even do this digitally like in the case of a call center when i have a complicated question on my you know schedule change or frequent flyer miles or something and i just notice that even if the agent is doing not what i would call the bare minimum but she their tone is very kind and welcoming they express gratitude for your business they're no nonsense they get the job done they don't try to nickel and dime you i literally am like hey uh your name is so-and-so. I would love to provide some feedback to your manager or something just to let them know that you did such an awesome job. You saved the day for me. You're a great asset to the you know company, whatever. And they're like, yeah, I'd actually love to do that. I'm going to switch you over to my manager. Are you sure? Or And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Takes 15 seconds. Right. And now you have even with the chat lots, you you know, the, 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 the automated ones. Get the feedback survey in there. It'll help you. Um, and... Finally, the, the last point I'll say is, is that I also don't believe that some of these people that work in the industry and that are under duress, I also don't believe that they're completely innocent either. And sometimes you can catch them at a bad day or they can snap at you or they can make you feel like really ashamed. Um, I remember on a flight recently, mm. I, I got a drink and it was served to me in a glass, which I didn't understand in economy class. And then when I went to the bathroom, like the glass had been sitting there on the tray table next to me for over an hour at this point, I just brought it up. I was going to put it in the galley. I left it accidentally in the lavatory. Nothing happened. But then the flight attendant woke me up and said, why did you do that? That glass could have fallen and was shattered and make a big mess. And I, I felt like so bad and like wrongful that I'm like, oh no, I got to like <laughs> cover the rest of the flight. So yeah, I mean, it's it's also like you know where our sensitivity is also like because there is also a pilot shortage, and we because uh, I think new blood is always what happens. Do you have any 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 sort of advice for those who want to or who are thinking about becoming pilots who are, who are you know first officers or just just getting their their wings, Chris? Yeah, um. I I started off learning to fly the the local fly club in my own city, right? And I remember I was a teenager and I was, but whenever I had some time off from school and the, the later years of school, I just used to. Is there anything I could do? Could I wash the planes? Can I help with something? Can I maybe take? If you need a, if the receptionist needs a break, I'll, I'll manage the phones. But just do whatever you can to get involved. Uh, and 
So that would be my advice for people who are really young and really want to get involved. Um, it's, I was actually was making some notes before we did the podcast now, and compared to when I did my training, right, costs more than doubled now. It was really expensive then. It's hideously expensive now. And if you think we're in this cost of living crisis, high interest rates, so if you have the passion and desire to want to go and learn to fly, and if you're not lucky enough to have someone else to pay for the training for you, like, for example, an airline, a scholarship, or whatever, getting that money is harder now than it has been for a long, long time because it just costs so much more to, to borrow that money. So uh, do just do what you can to get involved. Uh, and... Um, but I think re- now is a really good time to get into the industry. And um, I've worked with a few colleagues recently, and they've got all the kids who are thinking about getting into flying. And all of them have been what's hundred perspective bolters to the children's desk. Uh, yeah, that's a great time. Um, so yeah, do what you can to get involved. Um, and. I think it's uh, be really flexible about where you will go to work. Uh, I've I worked in some fairly crazy places over the trees in my time. Um, I wouldn't want to go and go to these places in Africa again, but I'm glad I went there. But it provided a job, it provided employment, and it provided a salary, and it provided. Right. I think it's. Um, not only good flight experience, great life experience as well. Uh, and um, yeah, and I think these are all opportunities. It's just, um, yeah, I used to, well, when people used to say in the past, what's your plan? Where do you want to be? I said, well, I have no plan because whenever I've made plans in the past, it's complete opposite sort of, um, yeah, interior approaches. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, do what you can to get involved. Um, even the most menial tasks. Um, and yeah, um, enthusiasm goes a long way. And uh, you never know what doors might open. Uh, and, and even if you're wanting to learn to fly, you might not be fortunate enough to, to have the, maybe the, the money to, to help and to, to, to get you through. You never know what doors might be available. You might be able to help out at your local sort of airport. Um, you might maybe get a little bit of free flying thrown in. Um, yeah. So you never know what doors might might open. Uh, it's it's a path which has got its ups, it's got its downs as well. But now's a great time to start. Uh, I think the, the world is uh, getting to a point where... Um, we are going to be short of, but they're not only pilots. But we're, we're short of air traffic controllers. We're getting short of, we're getting short of everything. Yeah, uh, and 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 just touching before I hand it over to both of you, I, I think one of the reasons why, especially with grand staff jobs as well, why we're so uh, perhaps short is, I think that the, the work lifestyle balance has been changed significantly during COVID. And you got people before the pandemic who had office jobs uh, and had to go to an office five days a week, five to five or whatever. Now have the concept hybrid work day. So you can spend a few days at home. You could sit in your local coffee shop or whatever with your laptop and work away. But if you work at an airport, you work in the aviation industry, you cannot do that. You still have to go to your place of work. Right. And I think that's why there's a lot of people who were perhaps in aviation before COVID have decided, mm, maybe I don't want to go back. Maybe that, that job I had working on the ground, that's not quite as attractive as it used to be. I can yeah, get the same money, if not more money, and I can have a much better work-life style balance. Uh, yeah, that's so, good. So, yeah, it's a, I, I think that's one of the reasons why we, we see the shortage happening uh, with with ground rules uh, where companies just can't fill the people can't fill the jobs they can't get the people that they need yeah it's a generalized uh, situation yeah I, 
I think the one thing I would actually say, because we're talking about all the schools, the sort of shortages, and I think I personally feel there's a massive gap when it comes to pilots and getting pilots into the industry. I really feel that there is potential for the big airlines to work in partnership with the smaller airlines. And rather than just think, well, we're all competing against each other because we're, we're, we're needing the same people. But and, and if you actually just touch on, because uh, United Airlines has got the at 88 um, Korean right. Development Program. That is magnificent. Now, if there's any listeners that are part of it, give us your feedback. Tell us what it's like. Yeah, seriously. We, when you go to the website, the concept is absolutely amazing because right. you are providing a pathway to a legacy airline, but you're involving at the potential candidate whilst they're working at a regional carrier. Yeah. And I think the one thing that that's really good is rather than inviting someone to a selection process where you might maybe screen them for a day or two interviews, maybe a simulator ride, you get to assess that person whilst they're working at that regional carrier. You can uh, access to the training records, how, they, how, how they're getting on and the check rides. And it's a win-win because if a regional carrier has a pathway onto uh, a reputable airline, it's going to be easier for that regional carrier to fill the seats under Embraer or the CRJ or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the legacy carrier wins as well because they get a far more thorough picture of good these candidates are and, right. and, and 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 just to take this concept just a stage further what could be really really cool is you could have say for example you've got someone who's flying a, a regional carrier they're being mentored by a, a larger airline now, let's say for example this this person they might have a sim check uh a check pride in the sim maybe it doesn't go quite according to plan well, you could have the legacy airline could actually say, okay, um, we've had a look at your, your records from your last sim. Yeah, maybe there's a few things that maybe didn't go quite according to plan. We are wanting to see improvements in these competencies, X, Y, Z. Go right. for Cromat. And then, it, it yeah, it, it's, it's just, there seems to be a, a very fragmented approach to career progression in the industry. And so much around Correct. Indeed. You know, whether it's frontline, um, you know, in flight, even in commercial and in headquarters and management and administrative positions, they talk about brain drain. I mean, you see a lot of very successful or not even successful, some unsuccessful airline C-suite people that actually go to under industries and they thrive and they do very well there because they've had to kind of deal with this very chaotic industry that has all these regulations and stuff. Um, but you're right. I mean, like all of these cool innovations that people are working on in these airlines, well, when they create these kind of new systems and processes and whatever, is their compensation and the, you know, the level of stress that they have to endure going to be equitable to be worth, as you mentioned earlier, you know, the, uh, the job, whether it is, you know, being on the ramp or being in the control tower or uh, being, you know, in the aircraft. And I think that you're absolutely like idiot is such a wonderful example and i haven't heard much about it and i would like to learn more i mean i think there's people that have mentioned that there are kinks in the system and i'm like yeah duh there's going to be kinks in the system because this is a completely new type of innovation and it's point is to do you know to start to try then to refine it because what we're trying to do is we're trying to solve a longer term issue but we can't make you know a long-term problem and challenge get solved in a short-term time frame with climate change and other things, emissions, all that. It, it This is where you do tap into the ge- younger generation and the knowledge that they have and then try to do, you know, good for, for all. So, Chris, I don't know if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, but we have done a trivia question each week. It's kind of alternated between the three of us. And then the point is, is that, you know, the other persons take their guess and then we release the uh, answer in the following episode. Okay. So I feel like the pressure's been put on me now. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I have a question I can maybe uh, maybe put out. Uh, so try and see if any of your listeners can come up with the answer. Uh, my first jet airplane was a four-engine type. 
but it was not Boeing or Airbus. Who wants to take a guess what that aircraft type was? Chupolev, or in, I'm butchering the names, but I'm just going to guess any Soviet aircraft that has four engines. It wasn't, it wasn't Soviet. It wasn't Soviet. So, yeah. That's saying not penetrated age or, you know, day or anything. The four holes, it's the, it's all about the four holes. <laughs> I swear. I grew up in more of a twin engine life, so. Yeah, you know. How wing do you want to say a guest? No, I'm not going to guess now. I do want to invite our listeners to go to airwaysmagazine.substack.com. You can write your guesses there. For all our subscribers, uh, you can also subscribe to the premium extended episodes of the Airways podcast. But I'm going to give it a thought and I'll give my answer soon. While we're here, I mean, since Chris is our guest, we should probably just have you tell us the answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's, yeah. I mean, what was the, yeah. well, what is the aircraft? Okay. So, um, rather than leave you on a cliff edge, uh, yeah, it was the, the BAE 146. Nice. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Uh, yeah, very cool. I mean, I'm going to Google that anyway, right here. Cause now I'm just like, <laughs> take what was the drag memory late? Yeah. What was the routing? Was it just like, you know, Isle of Man to like Gatwick or something? I, I, I've flown into the Isle of Man a number of times. I, I actually went many places I, I also flew the 146 in africa as well so i did oh, nice. great yeah stuff with it. yeah uh yeah. but 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 just one quirky thing just before we close so the isle of man it was the first airport i ever flew into where on the on the ramp they had a gate zero a stand zero uh i remember i landed in the air traffic control said taxi to stand zero was it stand zero what? yeah uh that that airport brings back memories so interesting the rohan so no, I'm I'm so glad we had you on here, Chris. And be sure to check out Chris's uh authoring and other production items on Airways as as yes. L and please support the podcast, leave a review, leave a rating, tell us what we're doing well, tell us what you want us to hear, uh, or what you would like to hear about and we'll talk about it. Hopefully not disappoint you. Uh and we're always looking for, you know, as much feedback as we can get to become better, and that's what makes this fun for us. Yes, thank you guys. Uh, wonderful to have you. Great conversation, Chris. And thank you, Rohan. For everyone, uh, thank you for listening. Clear skies. <laughs> <laughs>